we can be near to the heart of God, and we're going to continue to look now at the blessings of being near, really of God being near to us, our Heavenly Father, or the Lord, the Lord, especially capitalized in the Old Testament um, as the Hebrew word behind it of Yahweh and refers to Yahweh. And we're going to finish up. We started Psalm 34 last week. We're going to finish it up there. You can turn to Psalm 34. And um, within either tonight or next week, um, we are going to finish up our study on certain Psalms of David. I haven't decided yet for next Sunday for sure. I have a lot of things the Lord is laying on my heart at once. So trying to work through. I do want to start a series on worship very soon. Um, and look forward to, to doing that. Um, something that I benefited from under the mentorship and teaching of Pastor Gary Reimers. It's one of his um, series that he um, goes through with his congregation on a regular basis, maybe every four or five years, continues to go over it. And I learned much from it. Now it'd be my own presentation of those truths. They're, they're all Bible truths. Um, they're not his truths. And so um, they should, they, obviously I'll be presenting God's word, but I think they'll be very helpful for us and give us a better understanding of what worship is and what God expects from us. So looking forward to that. So I'm trying to decide, should I go ahead and move that to the morning and move John to the evening for a while? And then uh, the Lord has been putting some other things on my heart. So, so we'll see. But in the meantime, we need to finish up Psalm 34 and that's where we are. Um, if you'll remember what David, he was facing some great terrors in his life, and specifically even the beginning of the psalm, which is, which is part of the original song, is the title, and it was entitled, A Psalm of David When He Changed His Behavior Before Abimelech. Um, this is most likely the King Achish, that's another name for the King Achish, that we will actually cover this um, event very soon in our study of the life of David on Wednesday nights, who drove him away and he departed. This, again, was a very troubling, very fearful time in David's life. It might say one, one of the lowest points in a lot of ways in this. And so um, he, it's amazing that he starts out the psalm in the way that he did in blessing the Lord at all times and talking about all the, the, the words that he used for praise and our need to praise because all that God had done for him. But God had just rescued him from a very embarrassing, very difficult situation. And David is praising the Lord in this psalm. And so that was the background of the last half of the psalm. We're going to read that now and then have a word of prayer so that we have in our minds what the first part of the psalm was before we get into the last part, starting at verse 11. So let's read starting at verse one. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Again, notice all these different um, descriptions of praise and worship. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Somebody, uh, I think it was Rob last week, pointed this out to me that he thinks, and when he thinks of this um, 
word magnify, and this is very good. It's not that we're making God bigger than he already is. He's already at 100% greatness, right? And 100% majesty. But it's like when we look and peer at his attributes with a magnifying glass, we're able, it magnifies it to us, and we're able to understand more about it as we study. And then what I'm trying to do and what all of us really should be doing is also magnifying him helping people to understand who he is through that magnifying glass of God's word to others. And so exalting God and making him great. So that's a good illustration as well. Then I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him and were lightened, the idea of radiance, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. This is very personal. Um, a very um, humbling description here that David is giving. The angel of the Lord encampeth around about them that fear him and delivereth them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. This is the invitation for all people to taste what David had just experienced. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, which is not normal, right? But they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. God will take care of those that seek after him. And with this in mind, now we get to the second part of the psalm here, where David actually becomes a wisdom teacher, a lot like his son Solomon would do in the Proverbs. He has now become a teacher, a teacher that... Um, obviously is on the run at this point, being pursued by his enemy, but he's still teaching. And the picture here is a teacher teaching his students much wisdom. And we're going to see that David, last week, he proclaimed God's deliverance. And this week, in this part of the psalm, we're going to see a proclamation of God's redemption. And a the last couple of verses in this are, if you're not real familiar and haven't thought through, are a wonderful surprise for us. And we're, we're going to see that here very soon. A proclamation of God's redemption. With all that, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to study your word tonight. And let, let us proclaim um, our reverence for you and also our gratitude for your redemption, for your salvation, your deliverance, as David reminds us and will teach us tonight as the wisdom teacher and as the experienced one who can now point those to, to Yahweh, to the God of Israel, because he has experienced firsthand salvation from a very difficult situation. Let us rely on you. Let us be reminded tonight of our need for dependence on you, and then to proclaim in gratitude all that you have done for us. And teach others as well to fear and to revere the name of our God. So let us learn much tonight from this teacher. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. David's going to say in these next few verses that we need to proclaim. There's a number of things that he's proclaiming here, but we need to proclaim the fear of God. The fear of God has the idea of fear and reverence. And some people are hesitant, especially 
in, uh, I don't know, modern, more contemporary Christianity to describe this Hebrew word fear in any terms of being afraid, like being in terror of God. And we do have to be careful with that. We don't want to, because David is saying here, and he's making it clear that we need to have the fear of the Lord. It's very important. Verse 11, come ye children, hearken unto me. This is a teacher to his pupils, to his students. And he's saying, listen to me, listen up. Say that to kids a lot of times. Listen up. I have something important to say. If you listen to me, you need to listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. It's very important. But what is this fear of the Lord? Is it trembling and terror of the Lord that, like someone that's about ready to swat a bug at any time? Unfortunately, a number, even some Christians, tend to view God this way. And others, you think of other religions, the God of Islam um, and Allah and all these, those, the people that serve under that false God are literally in fear most of the time. I think Rick mentioned this in some of his um, witnessing to some of these folks, how um, Allah is such a harsh God, and they live in fear of him. And so they, they do acts of fear, of, of harshness, and, and all of these things. But, but it's not just that. Many gods that people, false gods that people serve, that they're in fear under, waiting for that God, just to, trying to um, um, mollify their anger before the God does something harsh to them. That's not at all what David is trying to portray here. But there is a sense where we ought to have such a reverence and a respect and awe of God that we really, really, we ought to fear sinning against him. As uh, as a son looks to a father and um, in a right, a good, healthy relationship does not fear or is terrorized that his father might do something to him at any second. But there's still that respect and awe of his authority and the fact that, that if he does wrong, there will be consequences. And fearing those consequences, there, there is a sense where that fear is correct. That we ought to have a fear against sinning against such a holy and awesome and powerful God. That is incorporated, not in a sense that any time he, he could just send a lightning bolt down and strike me dead. But at the same time, a concern that my sin will bring his correction upon me and his discipline. And I don't want that because I don't want a powerful God and his discipline, even though he's my heavenly father. I don't want to experience that. That is a fearful thing. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. And we as his children don't want that as well. And so there is a sense of that in this fear, but also respect. And just awe of his greatness and amazement and, and, and reverence for him in this. And David says, we need to have this fear. It's so important for us to be in right relationship, respect, revere, be in awe of God and all that he is. That means as well, it's an invitation to know him well. The, know, the more we know Yahweh, the God of Israel, our Heavenly Father, through faith and trust through Jesus Christ, our relationship, the more we get to know of him, the more we love him. But folks, let us we should also be in awe and amazement 
this is an incredible God. He's almighty. He's all powerful. Um, He's all knowing. He's omniscient. He's everywhere. And I certainly want to serve him submissively for my life because I'm in awe of who he is. The more we learn about this wonderful fear of the Lord, the more um, our lives will make sense and God will bless, maybe not in the way that we're expecting. And then David jumps into this. He's trying to teach others the, the need to fear the Lord. So that's in verse 11, but also then teaching others there's blessings of fearing the Lord. Yes, we ought to fear the Lord, but there's blessings from this as well. And it kind of looks, it sounds like really in verse 12, he's jumping into the age old question what is the meaning of life? What did Satan, by the way, tempt Eve with that got her eventually to disobey God? Well, part of it was a promise of the good life apart from God. Wisdom on her own terms, she and Adam not needing God and thinking they could live life apart, that there was something good and acceptable and desirous about that. Well, David turns that around and very very clearly says, what is the best way to experience the best quality? And I put that carefully, quality of life. Verse 12, what man is he that desireth life, that desires, that has a desire for real life, that has, has a, um, a passion or a, the one that seeks after the best um, quality of life possible is some, some of the picture here and loveth many days that really this verb here is one that, that, that has a strong love or affection for something. And David says that wants to have a long life, that he may see good. What is the secret then to the good life in essence? And David is going to give an answer to that that's far different from what the world gives. What does the world say? Do what you want. Do whatever pleases you. Follow after what you want in life. Don't let anybody stop you from that. Um, pursue the things that, that you enjoy and just whatever your flesh desireth to do, do it. And yet David is going to say the exact opposite of that. That's really all in effect Satan's life from the very beginning, from the fall. And David says, no, no, you pursue the things that God loves and that God wants to see in you. Um, The psalmist really says a truly high quality existence comes only from close relationship with God. I don't know if you've you've probably heard this before. The Westminster Shorter Catechism summarized what is it? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And really, David would assent to that. And what he's saying here, there's an author named John Piper that states this as to glorify God by enjoying him forever. And all this points to and what David is pointing us to is that you want the best possible existence in life. That is, do what pleases God, desire to glorify and exalt him, and the blessings will be great. Well, what does that look like in practicality? Well, here's some very practical things as you're pursuing God. One that is, that is righteous, that wants 
to follow after the right things of God. And this, again, is a follower of God. This would be a believer that has trusted in Jesus Christ in the New Testament sense and is a true follower of God and desires to glorify God with his life, then that person will, verse 13, keep their tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile or speaking deceit. Speech that exalts wickedness and is deceitful reveals a heart of evil. And the psalmist, David says here, the best life is one that is intent on pursuing spiritual good, not the evil of the world. And so don't pursue wickedness and deceitfulness, but turn from evil and toward the things of God. He's pointing out very practically here that when our speech is filled with evil or our speech, when our our words are constantly um, made to deceive others. And again, don't we see that in our culture today? It's hard to get the real truth about anything. Go to the news. It's hard to know what to believe. You hear so many different reports. And it's hard to really have an understanding about really what's going on in our world today because there's so many different avenues on which to get information. And it just seems like so many, even in power here in our country, are not telling us the whole truth, are being deceitful, this picture of guile, this wicked deceit and lies. And David says, depart from all that, you follower of God, you righteous person. Don't allow that to be a part. Don't follow after the world. That's a natural part of the world. Talking in a wicked way that um, sometimes some folks will talk and they'll have a double meaning where they'll say one thing and it sounds okay, but then it's almost like they're kind of winking and saying, but you know what I really mean. And there's so many words today, unfortunately, in our culture. There's so many words today that I have to be careful even saying from the pulpit many times because the world has corrupted them to the point where they have a double meaning where in their innocent words, or they shouldn't be a lot of times. But even as I'm working through things, I think I, I can't really say that because I'm too afraid that um, somebody will think of the wrong, the double meaning to that word. And it's very frustrating. It'll be wonderful when we live in a kingdom one day where there'll be none of that kind of deceptive talk and we'll have righteous speech and righteous talk. I look forward to that day. But in the meantime, David says, you keep yourself from this. Depart from evil, verse 14, and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. What is in the heart comes out eventually in our words. And we tell our boys this. And when, when we... Uh, we have a lot of speech and a lot of our boy, our boys are gifted verbally. And so they like to talk a lot. Now you may not notice that here at church, but if you get around them and you ask them the right questions, you'll get a lot of responses. Um, but at home, they like to talk a lot. And every so often, well, you know, every so often we'll notice that that speech turns in such a way where it's like, no guys, no, that that's not good. What are you? And I'll, I'll mention this to them. What is going on in your heart? as you're saying that. And a lot of times I'll get, I don't know, because they don't really want to think about what's really in their heart. But our point is, what's in your heart is coming out in your speech. And David says, the man that seeketh after a life of spiritual good, that wants to seek after God, will depart from evil 
and it won't be a part of his talk and of his speech. Even as we were just talking about, uh, this type, type of person won't take the Lord's name in vain. He'll be careful about his speech. He'll turn wicked speech and he'll turn, you know, uh, point people in the right direction with how to talk. And in that, seeking peace and pursuing it. How do we seek peace? Well, who is the person that gives us peace? The God of all peace. Yahweh is able to give peace. And remember what that means is spiritual well-being. Well-being in every aspect of our lives. And we can pursue that kind of peace and seek after it as we're pursuing a relationship, a close relationship, a closer relationship with God, with our Heavenly Father. And that's what David is saying here. He's saying, get rid of the evil baggage of the wickedness in your life and pursue God with all your heart. Seek to glorify Him with all your being. Pursue Him. We pursue a lot of things in this world. There's a lot of things that are important to us. And many times, folks, we can find ourselves, if we're not careful, pursuing things that we have no business pursuing to the extent of it's become something that we worship over God. Are we always looking into our lives and our hearts and making sure that the thing that we're pursuing that's most important to us is our relationship with God? Above all else, that is what we ought to pursue. And David is reminding us of that as well. So we should proclaim the need to fear God in these verses. But then also, we should proclaim the redemption of God. And he continues through the rest of this. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. That is those that are living in a righteous way. And those in the New Testament sense that can only live righteously that have experienced the righteousness of a relationship with Jesus Christ, right? So those that are true followers of God and his ears are open unto their cry. There's um, a great uh, quote here from a man whose last name is Kidner. And it says, his eyes see what is hidden from us so that before we call, he may answer. Yet his ears are open to us. He takes our prayer seriously. His eyes see what is hidden from us. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and he is ready, and many times he acts before we're even aware. Really, the idea of God's face, his radar is tuned to the righteous. We're on his radar screen. He knows what we're going through. He's, you can say it this way. He's tuned to our frequency for his children, and he will hear those that are committed to righteousness that are true followers. Isn't it wonderful to think that God already knows the danger and is working progressively many times before we, most, well, every time really, in the biblical sense, before we even realize to warn us and to keep us from spiritual danger? What a wonderful blessing that is. And following after him and doing right because of our relationship with him and, and his power in our lives, he will be with us. He is with us at all times, and his ears are always ready to hear our angst and our concerns. So many times we go to other voices when we should seek after God first and let him know our problems. What a wonderful promise here. So we should proclaim the deliverance of the Lord, and the psalmist David is proclaiming God's deliverance and his presence. The face of the Lord on the opposite is against them that do evil, to cut off remembrance of them from the earth. 
And basically, this has a picture of God has totally tuned the wicked out, in a sense. In other words, he is not obligated to listen to those that have rejected him at all. His face is against them. And then this very vivid picture here. He is their adversary, and that word cut off really has the idea of exterminate, like he is the cosmic exterminator. He will exterminate the wicked and remove them from the face. Now, all memory, really, all trace of the wicked at some point from the earth. That is a sobering reality. That is why, folks, you don't want to be the adversary of God. Warnings like this remind us we want to be on God's side. We want his face to shine upon us. We want the blessing of him hearing us when we're struggling. We don't want him against us because he will take care of evil. And one day he will permanently take care of it and wipe all trace of evil and wickedness away and will rejoice. But the awful reality of that for those that have rejected Jesus Christ that have rejected God is clear here as well. So God will deal with his adversaries. But on the other hand, again, as awful as that verse is, then David reminds us again, the righteous cry goes back to the focus on the righteousness in verse 15. And the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. What a wonderful picture. Again, we saw this earlier on in the psalm, that he hears the cries of the righteous. And that word delivereth them is the word for snatching away, delivers them from their troubles or their great trials. Last week, we asked, what is your worst nightmare? What is the worst thing that you could face? Um, Even watching, again, some of the coverage from 9-11 yesterday and just getting a sense of what those people that were involved in that had to face so many that died. And then those survivors that still are traumatized from that, even today, their worst fears were recognized, but those believers that went through that at the same time, their trust in God allowed them to go through that. And God here, David reminds them that um, he will deliver them out of all their troubles. But we need to understand, we need to have a real, the the psalmist David is going to be really realistic here. That doesn't mean that we're never going to go through difficulties, right? That the troubles that we face, that God is just going to remove us from all of our difficulties. Let's not misunderstand. And David doesn't want us to misunderstand here because he says in verse 18, the Lord is nigh unto them that are of what? A broken heart and save as such as be of a contrite spirit. Uh, We have had multiple times in our home where um, somebody has been transporting a dish from one cabinet to another, or maybe one of the boys have been trying to help, or maybe one of the the parents have been trying to move something and dropped or um, knocked off the counter, crack and shatter and that awful noise. This picture here is of one who in their heart has been shattered, a shattered heart. And this idea of a contrite spirit, that Hebrew word has the idea of being crushed, a crushed spirit. And these are the followers of God. So folks, don't misunderstand David. David knows that followers of God go through hard things. He knows that their hearts break. 
he knows that many times the circumstances that God allows him to go through that literally sometimes feel like they're being crushed. David's not pointing out a happy existence where nothing ever happens wrong. God always delivers in the way that we think of deliverance. But he says, for those that are going through those things, remember, you have something the wicked don't have, and that is you have God's presence near you. Have you ever been to one of the darkest points in your life and God, just in a miraculous way, you sense his presence. That's why I pray many times for people going through difficult things. Lord, let them especially sense the presence of your spirit. Let them know that you are nigh to them, as David says here. And even in the midst of the pain that you go through, the realization that God is right there with you is so sweet and is so beautiful. And it, it's when you look back, you think, I would never want to go through that again. Lord, I love it. You would never put me through that again. But that at the same time is one of the sweetest memories. Because I sensed your presence and I knew you were there. You were nigh unto me through that. And David experienced that. And he says in verse 19, again, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Oh, it's not going to be easy. David ought to know. He's teaching on the run here. He's running from the enemies. He's running from the Philistines. He's running from Saul. Oh, he knows the afflictions of the righteous are there. But the Lord delivereth him out of them all. Then we have this beautiful verse that had its ultimate fulfillment. And what we're about ready to see in the Gospel of John, he keepeth all his bones, not a one of them is broken. Folks, there's a direct tie-in to what Jesus would one day experience. All that he would suffer, and yet a fulfillment here that was beyond anything that David was thinking, that he would still keep all his bones. And the point is, is that even through the greatest distresses of life that God will bring us through, will keep us, will deliver us. Um, Rand Hummel makes, has said this many times and always sticks out of my mind. He, when he talks about it in the um, in reference to witnessing, what's the worst thing that could happen to you if you witness to someone? Well, they might laugh at me. Well, just ignore it. Well, if I do that, they might hurt me. Well, that's okay. You'll you'll recover. You'll heal. Well, what if they end up killing me? Hey, that's okay. You'll go to heaven. <laughs> and <laughs> I didn't say it as well as he did. I have to ask him for that quote again. But the whole idea is ultimate deliverance, folks. We know as followers of God, whatever happens in this life, ultimately we'll be with him forever. And we will experience ultimate spiritual deliverance. We have that hope. And so we can go through the worst afflictions and have that hope. And then these last two verses really hold a surprise here as we finish up. Evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. This is the end of the adversaries of God, is that the very evil that they want to perpetrate on us, God says, will boomerang and come back on them. Now I've got that song, the old Patch of Pirate song, the boomerang's going to come back, going to come back, you know that song. Well, for the wicked, that is true here. God says the wicked Wicked evil will come back and they will fall by their own plans. God will do the evil to them that they wanted to do to others. God will deal with them and they that hate the righteous will be desolate. 
And many of you probably have a note there or um, a note for in your Bibles that says condemned. And that really is the meaning of that, that, the, that they, those that hate the righteous will be condemned. In other words, they are guilty of sin and they're guilty of judgment and God will judge them. All right. Well, where's the surprise? Verse 22. And the Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate or condemned. And remember what that Hebrew word means. It means guilty, um, and so they deserve condemnation. They deserve punishment. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and they will not, those that put their faith in him will not receive the punishment they deserve is really the idea there. How can that be? Don't they deserve it? They do. But what, what, is that for, what is that verb there? They've been redeemed. They've been ransomed. Ransom, this word redeemed in the Old Testament had the idea of ransom where someone would pay um, a, a, a fine or, or judgment would pay to buy someone back. I don't know that that really is inherent in this passage, but it does have the idea, the general idea of being delivered. And so here we have the idea of being delivered from the consequences of sin. And folks, really, this is one of those times in the Old Testament where it's a clear um, point or a a clear reference or it points clearly to the gospel. Because Jesus would one day redeem us. And David is proclaiming the redemption that we receive through our faith. It says, none of them that trust in him. Ultimately, the fulfillment of this verse will come when Jesus offers himself up to redeem us from our, uh, and to deliver us from the consequences of our sin. And those that put their faith in Jesus will not be condemned. The wicked will receive what's coming to them. Those that put their faith and trust in Yahweh and ultimately in Jesus will not receive the judgment of condemnation because Jesus took all of that. Jesus received that in our stead, in our place. And so the surprise at the end is David proclaims the gospel. And so throughout all this, David is proclaiming the redemption that those that trust in Jesus can have. You know, I think Peter was thinking about this as we finish up, as he was writing 1 Peter. And it seems like he had this psalm on his mind multiple times, but just turn here as we finish up. See if you can see the very themes of this psalm in 1 Peter 3, 10 through 14. For he that will love life and see good days... He that wants the good life, she that that person that wants a good life, what do they do? Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Actually, I think he's quoting David here. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? But and if ye suffer for righteousness sake, happy are ye. 
Be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. Folks, whatever you're going through, remember that God is bigger than your circumstances. God is bigger than your adversary. God is bigger than your troubles. And just hang on to him. Trust in him. Um, Be faithful to him through his grace and mercy. And through all of this, we can do this because Jesus redeemed us. And those that have put their faith and trust in him will be close to God. They will not be condemned and they can live a righteous life. They can live the good life, not the way the world sees it, but the ultimate good life is through all the difficulties and struggles and tragedies. We have the presence of God, of Jesus with us as we go through that. And one day we'll have it for all eternity and everything will be made right. And we look forward to that day. Father, thank you for this beautiful psalm. Oh, what rich truths. Obviously, even the New Testament writers were motivated and had their thoughts on this psalm. And this psalm went far beyond even what David could comprehend as he wrote it. And yet we're so grateful for these rich connections to the gospel and to the sacrifice that Jesus would ultimately give of his own life. And yet you would see him through that. And you will see us through the events that crush us, that shatter us, and you will hold us together. So let us go in faith and in trust of our great God and not our own weakness. And Lord, do great things through us. And let us have the confidence that you are with us at all times. For it's in this that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.